0: time to make the donuts
1: from deep in the burbs of america's vancouver it's the vantucky fried podcast well is that special no here's your host 140 pounds of flapping lips with seven bucks cash and an opinion on everything casey bay oh my god
0: I thought you were dead. Did I kill me? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it?
2: Well, how do you like that? It is already Friday again, and it appears that the time has come to unleash yet another episode of the Vantucky Fried Podcast. My name is Casey Bay, and this is my weekly gift box. That I put together exclusively for you containing music I enjoy, random thoughts from my brain, and true stories pulled directly from the pages of my eventual memoirs. So settle in and enjoy this humble 30-minute show offering a break from politics, negative social media feeds, and all things serious. It's been recently referred to as the gas station burrito of podcasts, rock solid yet oddly satisfying. I'm happy to report that that jerk face robber that robbed my bank last week got himself caught. Vancouver don't play. They tracked him down, cuffed him and stuffed him, Roscoe Coltrane style. Now he gets to go to prison for what, a measly 1400 bucks.
0: You know what you are, you're a dipstick, a 14 carat dipstick.
2: I'd still like to bop him right on the nose for being an idiot, but I guess I'll just have to sit back and let the wheels of justice do their thing. In other news, I tried Wingstop for the first time. Didn't love it, didn't hate it, it was chicken. Buckle up, keep your limbs inside the vehicle at all times, and let's dig into Episode 5, A Grizzly Adventure way back before i had kids i was up late one night burning a little grass watching some music videos when this one came on it was a band called drive-by truckers it was gritty it was a breath of fresh air and the next day i went down to music millennium and i picked up decoration day and the dirty south i had no idea that i would eventually befriend their former road manager and not only would our paths cross, but I'd also get the opportunity to cater several pre-show meals for DBT and their hardworking crew. And a few tours later, I became known as the Barbecue Guy. From the Dirty South, this is Drive-By Truckers with Never Gonna Change, and you're hearing it on the Vantucky Fried Podcast.
1: Hoover, the Bantucky fried podcast
2: well i spent the bulk of my last week watching old wrestling matches from the 1970s and 80s uh, i also came into some documentaries of old game shows i found on youtube so yeah that's how exciting my life is right now i also happened upon a couple of interesting situations making the news out of florida the first one was where a dad allegedly shows up drunk at his daughter's house with dinner in hand, looking for a little one-on-one time. She declines and says, hey, look, maybe another time. And he doesn't take this news too well. Instead of leaving like she asked him to, he just stands there. And he's like, well, oh, yeah? Well, I'm still your dad, you know? And she's like, yeah, I know. I also need you to go home because you're drunk. And he's like, no, I paid my money for this pizza, and I'm going to watch you eat it. And she's like, yeah, but I'm not hungry right now. I don't really feel like having any pizza right now. Dad, I just need you to go home and not in your car. And so he says no again. And then he opens the lid of the pizza box and he starts throwing pizza slices right at his daughter's face. Lucky for her, it was carry out. So it had time to cool off, unlike the old man. So pizza flying, right? She says, hey, look, enough's enough. Goes inside, calls 911. Cops show up. They start looking for evidence. They find all they need. What do they see? She's got pizza sauce on her face and there's toppings spread like buckshot all over the entryway. So just like that, they hook him up and away he goes. Listen, man, I hope they get it all worked out. I hope that they can, you know, have a conversation, cooler heads can prevail, and they can move on and and get on with business. And let's be honest here. There's been plenty of times I'd like to slap my kid in the face with a pizza slice, maybe even multiple slices, like he's going through like a pizza car wash. I'm just saying I've been there and we all reach our SAS threshold, kids. Especially if your parents are showing up with pizzas that they paid for with their money. Let them in. And, and it doesn't end there, Florida. Florida's in it again this week. As per usual, Florida's always winning with the news stories. Attached to that same article was uh, another story I read about this lady getting arrested for slapping her husband around. I don't mean to make light of, of domestic disputes here, but this one's an interesting one. All right, stick with me. She didn't use her hands. Obviously, you know, she's not a savage. She's not out to, you know, rough anybody up, per se. Her weapons of choice, she waited until he least expected it and shot him with Windex before smashing him in the face with their dog's used pee pads. Yeah, doggy pee pad to the face. I can just hear the officer now. So you said she slapped the piss out of you? Yes, officer. Well, I mean, sort of. She technically slapped the piss on me, but she did it really hard and my eyes are burning super bad. So I don't know if it was the P or the Windex or a combination of both, but the whole thing was a blur. Yes, this is true. Yes, this really happened. And you can find a link to the stories on the VFP Facebook page and read it for yourself. As I mentioned a minute ago, there are a couple of great game show documentaries floating around on YouTube. Um, They're quick, nothing crazy. Um, If you're into old game shows, I would say give these a whirl. But that's just one guy's opinion, so take that for what it's worth. Two of my favorites have always been The Price is Right with Bob Barker, and of course, Press Your Luck with the late Peter Tamarkin. Needless to say, I was happy to find documentaries for both of these classics, The perfect bid, the contestant that knew too much, is about the prices right and how a superfan slash math whiz by the name of Ted Slauson, he noticed prizes would repeat. And so he created a spreadsheet of all of the prizes, their specific models, their features, etc., And then proceeded to memorize them, categorize them, memorize them. So he knew what car had what features and what that price would be for that car under those circumstances. So every item from, you know, the little uh, lipsticks and what have you to wristwatches on to trips and things. Incredible to me. I know what you're thinking. Who has time for that, right? Well, I'll tell you who. Ted Slauson does that's who. He then began traveling regularly from Texas to Burbank to start going to tapings in hopes to eventually make it on the show, or at least be in the audience to help guide contestants to victory. Even getting one guy all the way to the showcase showdown, which he won by placing the perfect bid exactly right, landing that guy both showcases. For the record, this has only happened twice in the history of The Price is Right. As you can imagine, they were freaking out. It was a cool look behind the scenes of America's favorite pricing game and how a show handles it when someone cracks the code and legally puts a kink in the show's budget. I also thought they did a great job getting everyone's participation for the documentary, including the great Bob Barker. Again, it's on YouTube and it's called The Perfect Bid, The Contestant That Knew Too Much. And because my personal luck was on a hot streak, the other documentary I found was centered around Press Your Luck, yeah, it's a good one. No whammy, no whammy, no whammy, stop! I always wanted to do that, just so I could play the big board. So the documentary I found, it, it looks at Pressure Luck, yes, but it goes deeper than that, and it takes a look at basically their Hall of Fame contestant, this guy named Michael Larson. He got a thirst for making big money, and he got himself on a game show. Pressure Luck, not just any game show. The one that he sat at home for hours and hours, watching the show, re-watching the episodes, and memorizing the light pattern on the big board, he just sat there and watched that board and he started noticing, wait a minute, some of these same prizes keep popping up in the same pattern over and over again. So he, he just put it to work, watched it, memorized it, and just logged it into his old noodle and then he made it onto the show. What happens? Gets his timing straight and then goes on to run the game, taking home over $100,000 in cash and prizes. And again, this is back in the 80s. So we're talking literally big money. It was both interesting, it was entertaining, and again, great to see the behind the scenes of like the the management and the showrunners. They're freaking out, trying to figure out what's going on. Are they cheating? What is happening here? How are we gonna pay for this? all kinds of things that you can see that they're just not used to dealing with on the daily when these guys come in and crack the code and run the games it's just blew my mind so cbs took it to him like they tried to bust him every way they could they tried to they looked for every loophole under the sun try not to pay him but guess what It was all on the up and up. All he did was expose a flaw in their computer program on the big board. That's not his fault, okay, CBS? So what, he got to go on the show, he got to keep all the money, and he even got a bigger check. Fantastic, he's doing good. But that's not even the best part of the story. After he gets his loot, he sorta kinda loses his mind a little bit. And his local radio station at home there started a contest that if you match a serial number on a dollar bill, you would win $10,000. So he goes, wait a minute, I got a bunch of dollar bills in the bank that I just want off of pressure Luck. So he goes to the bank, cleans it all out, gets all of his money in the form of $1 bills, and he's literally got grocery bags of dollar bills that he's got floating around his house. And he's turned searching for that matching serial number into a full-time job. Again, it was all very interesting, and if you get the chance, give it a watch, because it's worth it just to see if he actually wins the extra ten grand or if his house gets broken into and he comes home to find all of his money gone one of those two things happens it's big bucks the press your luck story and it too is available for free on youtube from their album seeds this is tv on the radio doing test pilot on the little show where current meets classic it's the vantucky fried podcast Hoping
1: isn't broken tried to keep it open but i couldn't Couldn't fix it, so I picked it up and smashed it down for Damage and distortion blasting through your fantasy It's the Vantucky Fried Podcast with Casey Bay.
2: Somewhere in the early 2000s, during an event planning meeting at the radio station I was working at at the time, I was handed the orders to my next mission. My day started off business as usual. I got off the C-Tran Express bus number 134 listening to a random playlist on my first generation iPod, which was loaded to the gills with freshly pirated music courtesy of LimeWire. I worked on the second floor of Portland's famous coin tower, above the Quiznos and just over to the right adjacent to the movie theater. I'd get off the bus, I'd smoke a cigarette on my way to Starbucks or hold one for a friend depending on who's listening to this, and I'd proceed to do my morning ritual of three spins, seven Hail Marys and a final pleading prayer to the good Lord Almighty that my boss was going to be out sick. Our morning show host, Lee, he was a big Harley Davidson fan and he wanted to do a motorcycle rally to raise some money and awareness for the dreaded Hepatitis C and, you know, maybe have a little fun in the process. He was hell-bent on calling it Liverpalooza and we all just kind of sat there with our heads down and agreed and just assumed that the sex appeal that that name radiated would just sell itself. Lee was a legit Broadcasting Hall of Famer. He used to play in bands, he negotiated legendary contracts, regularly napped through meetings, was a proud member of Hair Club for Men, and he could easily do a one-hour TED Talk on how to effectively chew ass like a verbal assassin. He also had equally legendary stories that were 100% true, like catching his ex-wife in bed with Luke Duke himself, Tom Wopat. Or the time he took country music superstar Travis Tritt to court for stealing one of his songs and winning. A move that forced Warner Brothers Records to stop production and re-release it, showing Lee's name plain as day as the co-writer of track number eight, If Hell Had a Jukebox.
0: Well, honey, if had a jukebox and the devil kept it full of person songs,
2: It's All About to Change was a huge record, and it went on to sell over three million copies. I don't know how it all shook out legally, but I can tell you right now, I'm glad Lee stood his ground and went back to get his points.
0: Where's my money?
2: Stealing Travis Tritt, allegedly. I met Travis Tritt a couple times along the way, and both times I shook his hand and told him Lee Rogers said hi. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Lee was my dude. As you can imagine, Lee was an incredible guy with an incredible story, and he also happened to be the guy responsible for giving me an official on-air name, as well as the opportunity to go out, do live call-ins, and man-on-the-street giveaways during his morning show. So it was a a big deal for me. From that point on, all of my name tags, as well as embroidered button-down shirts and radio station jackets, they all said my name was Mad Dog. You can say what you want about that name. I personally loved it. I thought it was perfect. And more importantly than anything, it introduced me to the glorious world of talent fees. Needless to say, he had one of those personalities that commanded respect. And believe me when I say the aforementioned highlights are just the tip of the iceberg.
0: <laughs> For further details, we return you now to your regularly scheduled program.
2: We were all given our orders. Some people were tasked with creating logos or registration pages. Others mocked up t-shirts, drafted email blasts to send to our loyal listeners. You know, just that friendly little reminder to save the date and start warming up that credit card. My job, on the other hand, was travel agent slash handler. I was thinking to myself, "What this is going to be cake. All I've got to do is make the arrangements, get those in place, and make sure our twin grand marshals make it to the party without incident. The grand marshal duo was announced and consisted of small screen legend Grizzly Adams himself, Mr. Dan Haggerty.
0: Well, I reckon your mom and I just do things a little bit different. My blankets have been in the mud and on horses, and Ben's even slept with them. So I don't know what my blankets are going to smell like
2: and the equally famous and equally maniacal Robbie Knievel.
1: Robbie Knievel has made it successfully, landed cleanly, and now <laughs> celebrates like a daredevil likes to.
2: Yes, evil skit. For the record, he lived within driving distance, so he required no air travel, and honestly, I had little to nothing to do with his scheduling. He just kind of showed up, and he was easy. But I figured you'd still want to know who the other guy was, so there you go. I was given a sheet of information containing the name and phone numbers for Dan Haggerty, as well as his manager, Spike.
1: Huh, Spike? You want it? Huh?
0: Huh? Spike? You want it? Huh? Nah.
2: To my recollection, Spike was a delight, and even in pre-event planning meetings, he wore his signature motorcycle rider do rag. And you know, come to think of it, Robbie Knievel, he wore one too, so this is clearly a thing. My first order of business was to get air travel booked and then find hotel rooms for Grizzly Adams and Robbie Knievel. I had a PO number, I had a budget, and the rest, as they say, was history. I had to laugh as I sat there at my desk looking down at that sheet of paper and thinking to myself, I've got Grizzly Adams' home phone number. Not the biggest star in the world or whatever, but I used to watch this show on TV when I was a kid right there on KPTV Channel 12.
1: This is KPTV Channel 12. Portland.
2: It definitely hit a little nostalgia button for me, and it was one of those moments where I go, eh, so this is my job. Not to mention, as a lifelong Dukes of Hazzard fan, I was pretty excited to talk to Dan Haggerty about what it was like to work with the original Uncle Jesse. And I'm not talking about John Stamos. No, I'm talking about Denver Pyle.
0: My big toe has been hurt and when that big toe hurts that needs trouble
2: i picked up the phone i dialed the number and three rings later there i was on the horn with the grizz his voice was big and familiar but he sounded out of sorts like i might have just woken him up from a nap i introduced myself and let him know i was calling to make the arrangements for his travel up to portland oregon for our charity event and based on his reaction it was pretty obvious he had no idea what i was talking about as i tried to explain i was given his phone number by spike and he kept interrupting me asking How'd you get this phone number? And I'm thinking to myself, brother, I'm trying to tell you right now. If you can just cool it, I'll tell you so after roughly my fifth lap around the facts he starts to believe me and slowly but surely his tone began to change and as he caught a fresh whiff of a legitimate payday he got a lot more friendly the first attempt to lock down dates went a little something like this dan the event itself is on saturday there are a couple of small appearances booked in as well which i will be driving you to would you want to come out thursday or early friday morning well thursday i guess but i haven't gotten my appearance fee i need to get half of my fee I'm also going to need that ticket to be first class and out of Burbank. Well, I can book your flight out of Burbank easy enough. That isn't the same information I received from Spike, however. My understanding is that you're going to be flying coach and you'll get paid upon arrival. And as I finished that line, I could literally hear Mr. Nice Guy leave the room and his voice changed gears to all business mode. And he very curtly replies with, Well, I'm not talking to Spike. I'm talking to you. And I'm like, wow, I'm getting flexed on by Grizzly Adams right now. This is incredible. So I say, I understand that, but you're also talking to the guy that doesn't have any ability to change anything. I need to run your request by my superiors and I'll get back to you. So I hung up slightly annoyed, but mostly entertained and went to deliver the news and the play by play to the bosses, which gave everyone a good laugh at both his first class demands and the fact that I had just gotten tough guide by the lovable Grizzly Adams. The next day I had to call him back and tell him what I already knew, and that was that his first class ticket wasn't going to be happening and that I would be booking him standard airfare at a Burbank and there wasn't anything I could do about his talent fee. He was indeed slated to get a check upon arrival and all I could do was assure him that I'd have it ready for him and take him to the bank if need be. Not knowing how the call was going to shake out, I took a breath, picked up the receiver, and I dialed his number for the second time. He picked up the phone, again sounding confused, but this time did his best to act like he remembered me. I said, Mr. Haggerty, I spoke with my superiors as well as Spike, and everyone seems to have the same impression of your travel and pay agreement. So I'm happy to get that book for you today, get you out here Thursday prior to the event. But unfortunately, I I can't do that first class. So I braced myself for another dose of his wrath. He just took a pause and says, well, that's fine. But it's going to be my son's birthday that weekend. So I need you to book him a ticket, too. And we'll be coming from Florida, not Los Angeles. And I go, well, I'm a little confused here. Yesterday, we discussed you flying in and out of Burbank. And he's like, yeah, but I think I'm going to be in Florida slightly more annoyed i say you think you're going to be in florida or you know you're going to be in florida that's kind of an important detail You figure that part out, I'll run this other ticket up the flagpole, and I'll call you tomorrow. I call up Spike and politely express my frustration, and he just laughs it off and says, no, he'll be in LA. Once again, I update the bosses, more laughter was had. I, on the other hand, wasn't feeling the humor anymore. The next morning, I'm back on the phone, making call number three to the Grizz, trying to finally hammer out these stupid details. I let him know there would be a ticket for him alone, but his son was more than welcome to come. He wanted to buy him a ticket and fly him out here have at it he didn't fight it and we agreed on the flight out of burbank his son, he ended up staying home, and just when I thought everything was solved, the shook and jive continued. So look, I need to get that appearance money wired down here. Again, as we discussed, you will have a check waiting for you upon arrival. Yeah, I know, but yesterday my son was backing out of the driveway, and he backed right into my wife's car, so I'm gonna need that money to get her car fixed. I'm in disbelief. I knew the answer already, so I didn't even bother to ask. I just made the call on the spot. I'm sorry about that, Mr. Haggerty. I don't have the ability to wire you anything, but I will get you paid as quickly as possible upon your arrival in portland and we can get that check in the bank lickety split again this was all approved by spike and as i understand it it was also approved by you i can still hear this exchange in my head like it was yesterday he turns up the volume and says you know what fuck spike that's my money and i was like wow man he's He's fired up. So once again, I found myself catching some serious heat from the seemingly gentle, animal-loving Grizzly Adams. All I could think to do in the moment was just deliver the news and then hit the eject button on the call as quick as possible. So I say, well, sir, I think that's between you and Spike, and I'll let you two work that out. But I'll see you at the airport on Thursday. I hung up, I booked his flight, and proceeded to hope like hell he was gonna actually be on it. On the agreed-upon Thursday, I positioned myself outside the security area next to the arrivals terminal at the Portland International Airport, and I proceeded to be on the lookout for the Grizz. A few minutes later, I spotted that famous beard and the man himself. He was a big guy, and he walked at a rapid pace with a huge smile on his face. He was wearing a tan Native American-style jacket with fringe down the arms and across the back, and he had a uh, like a messenger bag slung across his shoulder. Before I could address him and introduce myself, the older TSA lady, now imagine like Trudy Weigel from Reno 911, but maybe her mom? She spotted him right away and complimented him. And without skipping a beat, he just stops, kisses her right on the mouth, and then grabs her by the hand and walks her over to the adjacent waiting area where he sits her down and and personally autographs an official Grizzly Adams photo of her choice, which when he opened up his messenger bag had a little uh, like binder book where he could flip through. Which one you want, here you go. I've dealt with some interesting people but this guy was something else. I moved in and I introduced myself in an effort to save the poor lady for one and to move him along. We had to get down to baggage claim and I still had to get him safely to his hotel. We successfully find his stuff and we walk out to the parking garage where he spots our station vehicle. He's reading the call letters and the dial position and without explanation goes, no muff too tough. And we dive at five. I still don't know what to make of that one, but I know I will never forget it. He was as nice as pie in person. Like it was unbelievable. It was as though our prior conversations had never happened. We were driving to the hotel and making small talk about the event and he casually mentions he was almost out of headshots and needed me to get some more. And I'm thinking, here we go. One more thing, not in the budget. Then he quickly shifts gears and starts telling me random stories. You know, one time we were in Hollywood partying and I rode a wheelie on my motorcycle all the way down Fountain Avenue and the cops never did shit. Then he went into another one without skipping a beat. I remember this one time, I hosted a little people convention. It was a great time. Really nice people. My sister ran a bar, so we went there for an after party. But she said the bar was about to close. So we decided to take the party back to my house. And I'm thinking, well, isn't an after party where you go when the bar's closed? But who am I to get in the way of your story? And then he says, my house was full of little people. And we were drinking and we were having a great time. And then my wife got out of bed to see what all the noise was about and walked in the kitchen to find me with one of these cute girls on my lap which he said in a very pervy undertone. And then he goes, she just turned around and went back to bed. At this point, I'm just in disbelief. I've been with the guy under an hour and already this is the ground we're covering on a business trip. It was really something. I got him to his hotel and we made arrangements for pickup in the morning. To my surprise, I got there and he was ready to go. Well, his version of ready, which was me waiting in the lobby for roughly an hour and calling his room three times. But based on my previous Dan Haggerty experiences, this was huge progress. On the way out to the first event, I told him we were doing a quick appearance at a motorcycle dealership, and to be honest, he didn't really seem too into it. So my hopes were not high. I knew firsthand how things can change on a whim with my new friend and bearded loose cannon. So I crossed my fingers and I hope for the best. To my surprise, as soon as it was showtime, he went Went from loose cannon to total pro it was magical magical in the same way sylvester stallone's hat changed him into an unstoppable arm wrestling force whenever he turned it backwards and over the top all i could do was watch in amazement as he worked that crowd like it owed him money and that my friends is showbiz it was here where i met robbie knievel he and the Grizz were old friends so they hit the ground running signing autographs and seemingly having a great time we wrapped up and Robbie Knievel followed us back to the hotel which was the comfort suites next to the Vancouver mall for those keeping score at home and as we drove down the 205 freeway the Grizz was telling me stories Robbie Knievel pulls up next to the vehicle on his Harley Davidson and he and Grizzly Adams they're flipping each other off having some fun and then Robbie Knievel nails the throttle and proceeds to start riding a wheelie down the 205 freeway all I could think of was please don't die before saturday Thankfully, he didn't. And I got them back to the hotel and I went over the next day's schedule as quickly as I could because I was ready to get on home. I showed up the next morning and he was actually ready this time. I only had to wait like 20 minutes and he was in the lobby after one phone call. So huge progress. Everything went according to plan all day long. He successfully led the rally alongside Robbie Knievel and our legendary Lee. I can still see the wind whipping through the Grizz's beard and parting it right down the middle as he rode that motorcycle, slightly safer than the time he told me About on Fountain Avenue. And I have to admit, the whole day was a total success. The Grizz was on his best behavior, and he even said he had a great time on the ride. I don't remember much about the actual event, as it was basically just getting a huge group of motorcycles from point A to point B. And then there was like some drag races and whatnot on the other end. So nothing that excited me. So I didn't take a whole lot into memory, if you will. But I do remember a ton of people showed up. I remember it being a hot day, and I remember it being a success. I also remember a lot of leather and I definitely remember wanting to go home desperately. That said, we had a great time and we made a bunch of dough for the American Liver Foundation. And in the end, I got the Grizz back to the airport, safe and sound with a check in his pocket to get the wife's car fixed wink wink, and all is well. I didn't spend a lot of time around Robbie Knievel, so his highlights are limited to successfully popping that wheelie next to me on the 205 freeway and leaving a pair of his sunglasses with flames down the sides in my vehicle, which I'm sure I still have around here somewhere. Where? I have no idea. What I didn't get, and still regret often, was a signed 8x10. I really dropped the ball on that one trying to be professional. Look, I felt like I earned that photo. At the time, all I was thinking about was crossing the finish line and cross it we did successfully. There was a time I would say I didn't miss the day-to-day grind of working at a radio station. But coming off the crippling ripple effect of COVID and thinking back on the stories I have to tell because of those times, it really has me missing my desk at the office, even if the magic isn't quite the same as it was in the good old days. Nevertheless, it's hard to top working in an environment where on any given day some really random stuff can happen, and sometimes that random stuff involves a celebrity of sorts. Grizzly Adams may not have been easy to deal with, but it was worth every minute of the hassle and the frustration, to be able to look back and share this story and to know what it feels like to get flexed on by that seemingly gentle mountain man that i watched on tv growing up but the best part is when i'm walking down the street minding my own business and out of nowhere i hear that big voice in my head say no muff too tough and we dive at five maybe
0: there's a
1: It's the Van Tucky Fried Podcast with Casey Bay.
0: I think that he's on a run. He's looking very strong. This man is down to 5% body fat, which is something that not all of us can say. And I think he did a terrific job.
2: and that's going to do it for episode number five it went a little long but i hope you enjoyed it anyway it's not easy to tell a story about playing a babysitter for a small screen legend if you haven't already you can subscribe to the vantucky fried podcast on spotify google podcasts and anywhere else you find your podcast or you can stream it with ease over at anchor.fm slash vantucky fried podcast my name is casey bay this has been the vantucky fried podcast and once again i greatly appreciate you riding along on this adventure I'll be back next Friday, hopefully a little bit earlier with a fresh batch of random, more great music, and if all goes as planned, I'll even have another story to tell. If you like the show, share the show, and if you do, tell me about it, and uh, I'll send you a quarter. Until next week, be cool people, and I'll see you back here for episode number six of the Vantucky Fried Podcast.